Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We've been talking in this series about, and it's really, it's a, I'm calling it a series, it's re- I thought it was going to be three weeks, but it's really going to turn out to just be the two weeks, last week and this week. We're calling it Spotlight, and we're talking about um, stepping into God's divine moments for your life. That sounds really spiritual, and it sounds huge, and it sounds, you know, a lot of things. It's really just about understanding that we have choices, and we can, we can just choose to let life define us over and over again, which is what a lot of people choose to do, and you know their life would be described as pretty mundane and average and ordinary, or we can choose to step into moments and define those moments, and when, when you have Christ with you and when you're living your life for Christ, stepping into moments and defining them instead of letting them define you is a big deal, and it changes everything about the way you live about the way you relate to people, about the, how generous you are. It's, it's, it changes everything. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. We talked last week about the mark of Cain. We're looking at, at uh, Cain and Abel in, in Genesis. And, and we said that God marked Cain not to lock him into his past. If you remember, Cain is the one who killed his brother. And, and God marked him. And we're not told what that mark was, but we do know that God said, I'm, I'm marking you not to lock you into your past. I'm marking you to protect your future. And we have choices to make, defining moments that are waiting for us to define them. And we can either be like Cain and be defined by the worst of us, or we can be like Rahab, who takes a moment and redefines that moment completely. In Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to be in, in three different passages today, I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to follow along with me. We'll be in Joshua chapter 2, we'll be in Genesis 32, and we'll be in John chapter 20 in a little bit, if you want to just kind of put your finger in those three places so you can find them easier. Joshua chapter 2, Genesis 32, and John chapter 20. In Joshua 2, Joshua and Caleb are, are two representatives of the nation of Israel, and they are spearheading a reconnaissance mission to look through Jericho because they know that God is going to give that land to them as the promised land. So they're going to go into this land and spy it out, and, and they're trying to figure out what, what, what it's going to take to inhabit this land that God has promised to them. And, and this is going to be more than just a battle between tribes. This is the fulfillment of God's intention and activity in the world. And what I love about this moment is that there's a, a person in this story named Rahab. You're going to come to know a little bit about her. Um, Rahab gives us an outsider's perspective on what is happening in history when she encounters these two spies. These two spies have gone into the land, they've gone into Jericho, they're in the city, and um, Rahab happens upon these two, and she actually says to Joshua, we know what's going on. We know that this is not a war just between our tribes. We know that that God is actually moving in human history, and our hearts are melted with fear because we know this isn't just us fighting against you. This, there's something bigger going on here. We've lost our courage, she tells them, because we know that we are warring against God. Now, that's a dangerous, scary thing to think about the idea that you would be warring against God. And, and by the way, Rahab is known in the Bible and throughout history, Rahab is known as Rahab the prostitute. Okay? Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't you love to be known throughout your whole life by the worst thing that you ever did? 
Hi, my name's John. I'm John the liar, or you know, I'm Susie. I'm Susie the manipulator. I'm Kyle the car thief. Not our Kyle, but another Kyle. Wouldn't it be terrible to be defined by the worst choices of your life? Rahab the prostitute. And as life would have it, in all the unique ways that God moves through history, these men needed to come into this place, and she found them out. And she tells them, I want to be on God's side. Will you accept me? Now, you would think that the last person that God would accept would be the prostitute of a people who are against the intention and mission of God. But the wonderful thing about God is that he will take any one of us whenever we're ready to step into his presence to follow him. He doesn't care what color. He doesn't care what language. He doesn't care what tribe. He doesn't care what boundary. He doesn't care what our pedigree is, what our background is. He doesn't care whether we're royalty or nobility. He doesn't care if we're prostitutes or if we're criminals. If we say, God, I want you, he lets us step into a new definition for our life. And in this moment, Rahab the prostitute reminds us that we are all one choice away from a new life and a new future. So Rahab says to these men in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall, which is pretty convenient. She said to them, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own hands. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, We will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I don't know what the mark of Cain was, but the mark of Rahab was a scarlet cord. You know, you have to think, if if you're Rahab the prostitute, and clearly from what we read in Scripture, she has family. She has a mother and a father and and brothers and sisters and extended family. And you have to wonder what the relationship was between mom and dad and their daughter, the prostitute. Uh, um, It it would not be surprising to find out that it wasn't a great relationship. I can't imagine that dad is super proud to let people know what his daughter does for a living. It's, it's, um, It's probably put some strain on relationships. And I love how this prostitute who had probably been rejected by everyone she had ever loved 
who probably had heard her father say to her, you are dead to me, who probably knew that no one cared about her any longer, that no one wept for her, that no one really truly remembered her. I imagine that little space with the little window in the city wall was an empty space filled with loneliness, a vacuum of love. For every man who had ever pretended to love her, she simply sold her body because she felt she had no worth and she had no uh, value any longer. A transaction, a pretense of emptiness where sex replaced love and intimacy. You can imagine Rahab the prostitute becoming Rahab the deliverer. Can Can you imagine something like that? where she would go to her family, to her father and to her mother and to her brothers and sisters, to those who were her blood, to those who were filled with shame or disgust over her life. And she could say to them, come under my roof. Under my roof, there is going to be safety for you in our family. You will live if you come under my roof. I love that God took the very room where Rahab sold herself And he made it a place to be the shelter for the people that she loved. All of us are always one moment away from a new life. One decision away from a new future. We're all in a moment that can become a defining moment if we just stop waiting passively by, hoping God will do something. When God has already done something and he is waiting for us to step into that new reality. Sometimes I think we wait for God to choose us when we forget that God has already chosen us and he is simply waiting for us to choose him. So I take you from Joshua 2 to Genesis chapter 32. There's another person who is forever defined by a moment. He was marked by it. His name was Jacob. Now Jacob is a great name. It's one of those strong masculine names. I've got friends named Jacob problem is Jacob just, Jacob just happens to mean deceiver in Hebrew. Now, that's a great name, and I'm sure you're not a deceiver, but, but uh, that's what the name meant. And, and the man at the center of Israel, at the center of the story of Israel, is a man named Jacob. And I want to pick up in a moment of his life where his life was forever redefined by a defining moment. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 23. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, speaking of Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Deceiver. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then the man blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched 
near the tendon. What a great moment. Jacob is wrestling with the man that he eventually will discover is actually God, and he's wrestling with God throughout the entire night, and it says that God could not prevail over him. And God says, let me go, and Jacob says, no, I will not let you go. And God tries to wrestle free, but Jacob overpowers God, and God cannot get away, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's what Jacob says. And God just says, okay, just let me go. And then God says, tell me your name. I want to know the name of the man who would not let go of God. And Jacob says, my name's Jacob. What is your name? And the man said, you, you really don't need to know my name. And then Jacob knew that he had been face to face with God. And I think Jacob knew that the fight was fixed. I think Jacob knew that. Let's just understand something this morning. If you're in a wrestling match with God and you win that wrestling match, Let's just understand that wrestling match was fixed, okay? It's, uh, it's kind of like, um, like WWE. I hate, to break your, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably fixed. Um, not, now, Ultimate Fighter is a different deal. I don't think those guys are playing at all. I mean, I think that is real, and I don't want to be anywhere near any of that. But I think this was fixed much the same way that when I, my kids were little, I have, I have uh, three kids, they're, all, they're, they're almost all grown now. My youngest is a senior in high school. And my boys, when they were younger, say like seven and three, you know, we would wrestle in the living room. And um, we used to love doing that. I had this move I called the crusher. I would get them between my legs and start just grinding them up, you know, oh no, not the crusher. But as any good dad would do when you're wrestling with your kids, there would always come this point where they would, you know, take their best shot to knock dad off, and I would go flailing away, and oh, you know, you got me, and I might recover for a little bit, but then they would be on top of me again, and it might look like I was going to win, and at the last minute, they would have my hands behind my back, and, and they would have me pinned to the floor because I couldn't wrestle free. Do you know Why? Because I didn't want to wrestle free. I wanted my boys to wrestle with me. I wanted them to be close. I wanted, I wanted us to do that. I wanted them to win. I love that about God. I love that he will never win a fight against a person who refuses to let go of him. God wants to find that person who will wrestle with him and say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob came out of that fight with a displaced hip, and he would have a limp for the rest of his life. Now, if you have a limp, you really don't look like much of a leader. Can we agree? I mean, usually if you're limping around, you don't look like much of a leader. The younger guys would look at you and say, I think I could take him. You know, he, 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 looks, he looks like he might be broken. He looks weak. But the people who knew how that hip got put that way might stand up and say, you know, you know how he got that limp, don't you? He got that limp wrestling with God. He didn't just get that just anywhere. He got that wrestling with God. I think this man was powerful enough to lead. It's a limp that would have earned him respect. You know, a lot of us are walking around under our own strength into a future without God rather than walking into a future with a limp that says, God, 
I wrestle with you because I want you to define who I am. And I will not let you go until you bless me. And I love the fact that not only did it define who Jacob was, but from then on, the entire nation of Israel wouldn't eat anything from that hip area. You, know, you can imagine some guy saying, man, that really looks good. I, I'm so hungry. No, you can't eat that, dude. That, you can't eat that. That that's reminds us of when Jacob wrestled with God and he overcame God and man. It reminds us that there are moments in our life that change everything, that define us. That's how it works. Because there are men and women who step into moments and then realize, oh, God wants to throw this match. God wants to throw this match, and he wants me to refuse to let go of him. I wonder if you've stepped into that defining moment, that moment where you realize that it's not you waiting on God, but it's God waiting on you. That it's not you waiting on a defining moment, but that there's a defining moment waiting on you. That you need to stop hoping that somehow chance will bring the life-changing, seismic, comic moment in your life. And you realize that God created you with the power to choose. And you can define every moment of your life because every second that you breathe is a moment that can be rich with God. God has chosen every moment that you have ever lived and ever will live. And he's chosen for it to be a divine moment between you and him and the only moments that stay mundane and the only moments that stay innocuous and are only filled with existence rather than life, they are the moments where we simply let them slip away because we did not choose to define those moments. Let's go to Jesus. That's always a good place to go. John chapter 20. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and now that there are these rumors that Jesus is alive, and by the way, the people who knew Jesus, they did not believe he was alive, because if you actually believe someone has been resurrected, you, you've got to be a little bit insane to believe that at the beginning. You should be a little cynical, you should be a little skeptical, it should take you a little time to wrestle with the fact that virgin births are rare, and that resurrections also are very rare. And so the disciples are trying to acclimate to this news, this idea, these rumors. And they had seen Jesus at the end of his life brutalized. They saw him literally torn to pieces. Even if Jesus had lived, he would have been a mangled mess of a human being. I, I try not to, when we talk about the point where Jesus dies, I try not to sugarcoat that. It was not pleasant. It wasn't pretty. He was a bloody mess when they got done with him. I talk about that flogging, and I, I talk about how easy it is for us to say the word flogging, but what it represented and what it would have looked like in real time and real life was bloody, was nasty, and a lot of men didn't live through it. And, you know, you've got to tell yourself if Jesus is going to go through everything that he went through at the end of his life, he would probably not have been very functional as a man. He was torn to pieces, shredded, ripped apart, crown of thorns, crushing his skull, rips, tearing away his back. Would you really want to see a man like this brought back to life? It tells us that we could not even recognize his appearance. He was so tormented and tortured and beaten. And then there is this Jesus that starts showing up to people. In verse 24 of chapter 20 of John, it says this, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, 
one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And by the way, you never want this to be written about you, okay? Jesus showed up and you were not there. He rose from the dead, he came, but you just, you, you had other plans. Um, I don't know what you were doing, but I don't know that it would be more important than being where Jesus is. And it says that Thomas was one of the 12, but he was not with Jesus when Jesus came. And, you know, you think about that, and I just wonder how many times Jesus has showed up for us, and we didn't show up for him. How many times Jesus has chosen us, but we did not choose him. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, if you think about it, This is a pretty cruel statement. Because who would think that if Jesus was God, and God conquered death, and God rose from the dead, and God has now been translated from his mortal body into what is now an immortal body, that he would have any scars at all? And if you expect him to have scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side, then you would also expect scars in his head where the thorn of crown of thorns was, and you would also expect his back to be torn apart. Why would he not be emaciated? Why would he not be unrecognizable? You ask yourself, why would Thomas say that? Verse 26, a week later, didn't happen right away, a week later, His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, which let's just all acknowledge Thomas is is getting it, right? This time Thomas is there, so yay for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which is pretty important because if you've just killed God and he has come back to life, That would make me nervous because you don't know what he's coming back to do. Is he coming back for retaliation? Is he coming back for revenge? Is he coming back for peace? And I love the fact that when Jesus shows up, he says, I'm back for a reason. I'm here to bring you peace. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, You know, if you'd been through what Jesus has been through and one of your disciples, one of your closest friends is there and they don't believe what you're saying to them, it would be really easy to get upset. I could see Jesus raising his voice, getting mad, throwing things like, you know, I went through all this and you don't believe. I like it that Jesus doesn't do that with Thomas. He simply stretches out his hands and he says, Thomas, put your hand in there. Come here, buddy. Put your hand in my side. Feel this. You need to know. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, we don't know what the mark of Cain was, but he had a mark because God's going to protect him from the worst decision that he's ever made, and he's not going to let Cain be defined by the worst choices of his life. And Rahab has a mark. The Bible says that she was a prostitute, 
but now she's going to be a freedom fighter and the mark of Rahab will be a scarlet cord that hangs from her window where she goes from being a prostitute to a freedom fighter. Jacob had a mark. It was a limp that marked him for life that said he had wrestled with God. And it was a defining moment in his life where he refused to let go of God at the risk of his own life. Because he would rather die holding on to God than live and not have God. And then you have Jesus who is marked by his sacrifice. It's kind of strange that everything else about Jesus seems to be healed except these marks in his hands and in his feet and in his side. No more scars on his back. Apparently no more scars in his forehead. I don't know, but they apparently didn't see those. But he kept the scars in his hands and he kept the scars in his side almost as if he knew that Thomas was going to demand to put his hand in his side. It's almost as if Jesus knew that he was going to say, I I will not believe until I touch his hands. See, God has his marks because whenever you step into a moment and you define it, it leaves you marked for eternity. And Jesus marks with the marks that would come when he chose us, when he loved us, when he embraced us. Those are the marks that Jesus would receive because of us. Jesus' marks are the marks that he received on the cross when he said, I love you, and nothing can change that. Nothing. People ask, what's the difference? Aren't they all the same? I mean, Buddha and Krishna and Muhammad and Jesus, aren't they all the same thing? Here's my answer to that. I want you to know that there's only one who stood in time and space and let a moment that could have defined him become the defining moment in his life. A moment that through his death, through his sacrifice, through his scars, he would bear the marks that would say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I want you to know this morning that even if you never choose him, he chose you. He chose you. I want you to know that he still bears the scars that are his marks. That even knowing that you would not choose him, he chose you. So stop waiting for God to choose you and realize that God is waiting for you to choose him. Maybe this morning, maybe this moment is a defining moment for you. Maybe this is the point where you step into it and you say, you know what? God, take my life Take my will, take my past, take everything bad in my life, take everything that has marked me to this point and redefine who I am as a person. Because I do not want to be captivated by my past, but I want to look into a future where you have set me free. And I don't want my decisions in the past to be the thing that everybody knows me by. I want them to know me by you. Would you please mark me? And some of you just need to take another look at Jesus who went to John the Baptist and said, I want you to baptize me. And John the Baptist said, what are you talking about? I should be baptizing, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, you've got to baptize me because it fulfills all righteousness. 
Jesus being baptized was good enough for him, how in the world can we think that baptism isn't good enough for us? You know what? It takes guts to step into a defining moment. It takes guts to take yourself and place yourself in a place of vulnerability where you say, God, I don't know that I get all this. I don't know that I'm worthy. I don't know that I'm ever going to be what you want me to be. This guy's telling me that you want to forgive me and you want to define my life differently, that you want to mark me. Here I am. It takes courage to step into a defining moment. But that may be just what you need to do to start your new year to make this year different. If you've really come into 2015 and said, I really hope this year's different, why don't you kick it off the right way and get marked by Jesus? We're going to stand and sing in a minute. If you've never given your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. If you have given your life to Christ, but maybe you haven't really been embracing every moment for Him, you just kind of go with the flow, maybe we need to talk about guts. Let's pray together. Father, there is great humility that falls upon us when we realize that you are marked for us. That the only reason you bled and died on a cross was for us. That's the only reason. And that you bear physical marks on your body all for us Father for the people in the room who every time someone talks to them about Jesus and every time somebody talks to them about coming to Jesus they, they think religion Father would you, would you help them to understand we are not talking about religion we're not talking about a list of do's and don'ts, and we're not talking about something so chintzy and so cheap as that. We're talking about forgiveness, and we're talking about being set free, and we're talking about peace of mind, and we're talking about being marked for the rest of our life. Different. But we don't have to look into our past and say, that's what defines me. And God, for those of us who are Christians, who've been Christians maybe for a long, long time, something's gone stale or something's gone cold I pray that you would help us to see it's because we are waiting for some moment to define us when we need to step in and take charge and define the moment and breathe every day every second because you're in it with us and you're making a difference father we love you and collectively this morning we bow before you and we worship you as the king of kings and the lord of lords we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus.